Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Piria and Elizabeth Zhovkova. Today, we meet Ingrid Pauletti, an associate professor of building technology at the Department of Architecture, Built Environment and Construction Engineering at Milan's Polytechnical University and the founder of Material Balance, a research group of experimental technologies and material systems innovation. Co-hosting this episode with Milan-based design studio MDA Agency, we are wondering how technology can affect the preservation of our polyethnic cultural heritage and what are the indigenous knowledge and nature-based technologies that can assist us in harmonizing the human existence with nature. Hi everyone, uh, Kiana, it is great to have you as our co-host for today's episode and thank you so much Ingrid for joining this conversation and for your time. Um, Ingrid, in these uncertain times of destruction, yet growing cultural diversity, I would like to begin our discussion with the key components that are shaping today's built environment and what makes um, the so-called built world sector future ready, um, as well as uh, where would you locate the notion of sustainability in this conversation? Uh, hi, Farah. Thanks, first of all, for inviting me. I'm very pleased to be here and also for the topic that is uh, uh, different and very interesting for what we are listening in, uh, in this period, let's say. So how a built environment can uh, help in the notion of sustainability, I would say that um, we, continue, we continuously change and our environment change too. Thus, we call it usually the habitat. Now, what is our habitat? So I think it's a better word than built environment because it comes from the word habito that is the same of the habitus. So where which we, the one we are uh, taking like every day, so our dress. So in the Latin word, the habitat is the same of the habitus and it's the same, it's the same root of the word that means the place in which you are comfortable. So... I think this broad notion of habitat, uh, it's a place where you have to feel safe, at ease, uh, of course, in, uh, near to your well-being, let's say, but it's also continuously changing. So that's why I think today, not only because of the COVID and what has happened in this period, but it's also because we are changing. We are changing as humans, we are changing as society, our needs, our perception of the worlds continuously evolve. So the built environment is somehow the first and the last signal of this uh, mutation, of this continuously changing perception of how we should live or how we would live and what's the better environment for us. So I think in this sense, the built environment and sustainability in a broad sense, it's not only sustainability in an environmental sense, it's also in the social, in an economic and in a human perception uh, declination, let's say. It's where uh, it can, we can have the seed and also a sort of final output, like the built one of, uh, uh, of a future, let's say, environment of our habitat. And I would really try to uh, merge the word built environment. This seems something static. You know? It seems something fixed that you cannot change 
uh, to more the habitat that is more linked also to the natural environment. So the habitat is a place that you redo every time, you know, like natural, uh, like uh, animals. They have to rebuild the environment continuously because they don't know what will happen because it's unsafe, but also because the, the weather changes, the context changes, the, their family changes. So I think this could be a first issue for us. Uh, we have to think at an environment that uh, is uh, a place that changes continuously and better adapt to our need and to who we are as society. Thank you, Ingrid, for your insightful answer. Can you give us some example of the smart technology that can help us develop our cities in a more intelligent way? I think that uh, if I have to think at smart technology, I will not go immediately to devices, but more to the embedded digital uh, environment in which we are living. So the fact that uh, we have continuously uh, tools like the smartphones, the video, the PC, the tablet, let's say, they are not uh, more, they are not anymore something outside of us, but it's more a sort of collective knowledge that is embedded in the way we behave inside the society. So the smartness, I would say, of technology is a sort of collective and distributed knowledge that comes through artificial intelligence and all the digital part that uh, is developed through and thanks to digital technologies. So if I think something that should be smart, I will for sure not go to censoring or to too technical spaces or adaptive spaces in a hard way, but I would more think that smart means linking also to the first question uh, an embedded knowledge, because when we do something collectively, uh, it's because IE somehow knows who we are even before we know. So we can embed in artificial intelligence, in database, in knowledge, also an ethical issue, a sustainable issue. It's a sort of distributed knowledge that influences us continuously. Like if we Google something, if we check for an information, uh, if we use uh, design tools, uh, there I don't think that these devices, this smartness is out of us, but it's more a smartness that is inside us because is uh, uh, it's a vehicle in which we even don't know we are living in. So instead of uh, seeing it as something outside us, I would I would think at the smartness that can help us to uh, direct our values like of sustainability, of social, and also of the multiculturalism through the tools uh, we use every day, even without noticing. Ingrid, construction industry affects our environment in many negative ways. Considering climate change and the urgent reforms we need, what are the indigenous knowledge and nature-based technologies that can assist us in living in closer harmony with our planet? Yes, I, um, it's a very interesting question um, because, of course, construction issue, construction industry is one of the most polluting industries together with textiles, I think, is the second one, and microelectronics is the third one. 
And here too, I would suggest that uh, we don't see a sort of barrier between the artificial and the natural, between us and the outdoor environment, because we made it. So we are part of the environment in which we are living in. But I would suggest to try solutions that put the two together, like thinking at existing material and system, for example, but probably like you know, scaling up their integration with natural elements. I can quote uh, a system we made as a research group. Uh, the research group I lead in Polytechnico is called Material Balance, where balance is not only a balance in terms of mass, but it's a balance in terms of semantic. What does it mean for us to use these materials? It's a balance in terms of performances, but it's also sensory balance. What does it mean to touch a material? Do I feel, if I can reconnect to the first uh, question, the habitat in which I feel confident and where I would like to live? And in this uh, research path, we have developed a system that uh, was exhibited in Triennale some years ago that it's called Struna, that means structure, nature, that is a kit for a domestic bioreactor with microalgae. Uh, microalgae is one of the oldest uh, bacteria in the world. It has been here in the earth before us. And it's very uh, resilient. It reacts to pollution. It can stay in very different climates from very cold to very warm. And it makes photosynthesis much more fast than traditional and superior plants. So what we thought is let's use this type of uh, natural element inside water Integrating it, in that case, it's a filter, it's a construction system that can be used for internal, for offices, or eventually also outdoor, that could merge the need we have to build an environment that is safe, that protects us from the environmental conditions, but that, for example, can compensate CO2 or can take us more near to nature or that we can use, for example, the wastewater inside the system of the bioreactor. So it's not like completely artificial, but it's not completely natural. Because this is where I think the real innovation comes, is in the intersection between what we know, what our skills, what we are able to do, and how we engage with nature somehow. So I will try, I think in the future, it's quite important not to uh, separate, not to uh, make, let's say, walls between this is the built environment and this is nature. Uh, we are part of the same environment and the more we try to merge the two, I think the better we can like, not, uh, uh, let's say, skip the evolution we had in all this because this evolution made us as we have seen also in this period, no, we are somehow we can close in a house and be sure that somehow we are at least um, uh, protected from the environment. But at the same time, take care of all the issues today, like climate change and uh, scarcity of resources. So to direct our impact, we're uh, getting our roots. Thank you, Ingrid. Um, let's dive a little bit deeper um, into this conversation. As being a supposedly homogeneously multicultural in the past 10 years, in an urban context, uh, are we now taking a step back 
towards nature and resilient construction to move forward? <laughs> yeah. I think this is linked also to what I was saying before. Um, we have to think that we made the tools and the environment in which we are living in. So I very much like all the anthropologists like Tim Ingle no, or Telmo Piovani in Italy that try to uh, link our uh, evolution in terms of built environment and society, not only to... Uh, what we have done as uh, as an artifact, but what was the cultural values that we have used in designing the environment? So this is now the tools we have, and what we have made somehow is part of our evolution. So here too, I will not think that we need to cut or step back, but more. Uh, probably we are at a sufficient level of maturity to uh, understand which are the limits of our, for example, extracting resources of the use of spaces or trying to like have progress that doesn't take care of the limitation of the resources we have. So without stepping back, thinking, oh, what's the right balance? Where, where are the weaknesses of the design we made until today and where we have more step to develop? Also, when we try to design material system, we go really from the micro to the macro. So we try to look with the microscope to the structure of the material from a biological point of view until the scale of architecture. And doing this, we understand that it's all part of somehow of chemical molecules. It's all the, the boundaries are completely blurring between a wooden structure and the space we are living in. So how can we try to, like the lesson learned, to try to cope between an artificial environment that is in any case made with natural elements too? And what could be a direction in which we can embed, let's say, our values? So um, I think is uh, we shouldn't like think to step back, but more to to understand how time affects also our environment, our materials, like working with living materials, for example, uh, requests us to immediately check what does it mean to work with living materials? How do they grow? How do they change the environment in which we are putting them? Uh, will they need care? So the care we put in growing, in living uh, plants or living system, we should take them to in what we have built. So this could uh, have the right, um, could be the right perspective for what is already existing, but also for what is new, I think. Thank you. Couldn't agree more. How do you think multiculturalism contributes to creativity, design practice and entanglement of tacit knowledge? Yeah, I think in, in this perspective where the boundaries are blurring somehow, the multiculturalism, I think, can really give a very interesting and nice uh, boost to what we can create today. Um, when you, we design, there's a part that is called explicit knowledge, that is what we have learned, that is what we can, let's say, express. But there's a very big part of it that is called tacit knowledge. Tacit knowledge is the part that is, let's say, embedded in the experience through our bodies. Uh, usually it's considered an individual value, 
But uh, I think today, thanks to multiculturalism too, it, it's becoming here too a collective value. It's not only my own, my own experience, my singular experience, but it's how can I behave uh, at a very large scale uh, in what I'm designing, for example, or how I'm behaving in a city. Uh, to give a, an easy example, if I know how to ride a bike, uh, uh, personally, this is my individual tacit knowledge. I even don't know how to say it. I cannot transmit it. It comes from my experience. But if I uh, go with the bike and I know how to move in the traffic and I know that I really care to environment, so I'm going and I'm cycling, I'm a biker because this changes the mobility of the city. So this is a sort of collective tacit knowledge that uh, somehow is expressed also through multiculturalism because it's horizontal, it's not only depending on a specific type of culture, but it helps to direct the values, as we were saying at the beginning, through not only a sort of statements or manifestos or something that it's abstract from the everyday life, but it's really embedded in the practice, in the design practice. That has a part that, of course, is learning, is explicit, but a big part, it's embodied. And I think in this embodied part, it's where the, really, the real creativity comes out. If we think at uh, the most famous, I don't know, musicians, for example, like when they uh, make fantastic piano compositions, it's not because they are, creative, they are creative from nothing, but it's because they know the rules so perfectly. They have so embedded the tool of, of, uh, uh, of playing music through the piano that they can be creative. They can design or imagine a new song. Uh, they can write new notes. So I think somehow multiculturalism is boosting these two. It's somehow rooting this possibility to know the rules, possibly the ethic rules, the engagement rules, to be an activist uh, even without knowing it. So I think this is a, a, a good message somehow and something that in some parts is happening also through multiculturalism. Creativity that is embedded in tacit knowledge. So you don't have to make standards, rules, or to be obliged to do something. But in the way you behave, you already change your environment. Um, in a way, you answered my last question, but... Uh, you were addressing youth in particular. So let's sort of talk about this matter in a wider perspective. Even though in the past few months, it felt like we all had to take a giant step backwards, yet the society progressing with each day. And with that being said, every one of us develops a growing attachment to the world of technology. How can technology play a role in sustaining a multicultural coexistence? Um, it's nice to be a teacher because you get older, but your client is always young. So <laughs> that's a chance to, my target age is, will be always the same. And, and it's, 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 I think, a gift because uh, looking at young people, you can understand before what's happening. Even if they don't say it, as like linking to the question before, you can really understand the feeling, their perceptions and uh, what is the value somehow they will follow in their past, in their professional, personal life. So in, in what I see, uh, I was 
um, astonished also because the multiculturalism in my class is very big. I start my classes very early in the morning because I need to cope with the Japanese uh, uh, time zone. And then I close with the South American and the Australian. I have to choose if I want to see them very early or very late. <laughs> but um, I've seen that also, I don't know if it's also thanks to this period, that's a sort of... Um, engagement, engagement to what could be the driving values of the future, how you can help the others, also thanks to the digital. So it's not only a question of proximity, it's not only because you belong to a specific place, but it's sort of distributed belonging because of this particular condition, of course, but I think it will stay a sort of legacy of this value of the human connected with the digital tool but uh, that could be everywhere in the world, but because they are sharing uh, a moment of knowledge, because they want to know something, because they are working on a design project. And for sure, I think in the use, what I see, they will not work without a purpose. I am quite sure, I have to say, uh, as it will be recorded, we will see, <laughs> that in the young generation, it's very difficult to attract them I think only with money or because it's a specific place or you have to be there. It's much more the purpose, the social impact. Of course, you need to have um, a certain amount of money because otherwise it's difficult to live where you want to live. But if you don't have a purpose and engagement, if you don't think that somehow your small life will contribute, even if it's a drop, uh, I don't think we will engage a young, talented designer, let's say, somehow today. So, and I think this is the positive part of it, of this big change, of this the sharing the information, sharing the knowledge, means also sharing these uh, uh, values. And I am quite sure that, of course, not all of them, but the very big thing I see in the students and also... Uh, I see it also in the gender issue. If I have to say, we try to make something like for a young uh, girl, like you want to have courses on how to deal in the future as a girl. They say, no, thanks. We feel the same. We will have the same, probably, hopefully, of course, there's some diversity and some difficulties, but uh, they didn't saw that as a designer, as an architect, they would have less chances than a man. And this is also, I think, a big change in terms of diversity in a vast, uh, uh, in a vast sense. Uh, there's a much more consciousness on which is your talent, how you can invest it, and what contribution you want to give. And I think this is a sort of dream come true for elder people, so that you don't uh, have to first make money and then you make the mecenate and you give back somehow. You just do it in your every life, in our cases with architecture, material engagement and taking care of resources, but everyone could do it in a different way, in its personal way. And I think the young will, uh, will do it more than we have done. Diversity and multiculturalism are ingrained in the lives of today's urban youth. As this generation matures, how can they contribute to the creation of inclusive forms of belonging? Uh, I think in a wide perspective, what I was thinking also one of these days is 
um, when now we are all locked down, you look at the sky and it's much better, no? And you see all these clouds. For I mean, we live in Milan, a very polluted, usually city. Unfortunately, when it's a very nice city, so you look on the on the sky and you see these clouds. And and I was thinking somehow uh, the clouds. It's a physical part of the sky, but we are also giving to the cloud, to the digital one all our memories in this moment, in this period. We are storing everything that is happening in a virtual, a digital cloud that will be our memory. And what's the good part of it? That probably and hopefully it will help to trace what we have done, maybe to see the mistakes, uh, to redirect some directions um, or take the good part of it, like the experience we have made and which has been like the, the changes we want still to foster even more in the future and in the near future and in the long-lasting future. So I thought as this nice image like in the painting, you know, when you see the angels in the sky with the clouds and somehow is the part where you have hope, where you give hope, so I thought this could be a nice closing, thinking at the digital cloud as our uh, enormous memory that could help us because memory, what gives us, it's also our identity, it's who we are. And I think this in a multicultural perspective, it could be a multicultural identity that is of everyone and that can help not making, hopefully, bigger mistakes but to drive uh, a very big and impactful uh, with purpose change. Thank you so much, uh, Ingrid, for this poetic answer and the beautiful metaphor. Uh, certainly, that's how we all feel when we look at the sky. Um, it was a pleasure having you with us today.